morning. Oh, by name, that's so cool. So, this morning, we're deviating slightly from the original program, because it's me, and let's face it, we deviate from the original program when I appear. God has been stirring in me for the last few weeks and months, and Malcolm um, and I were supposed to do a different talk this morning. And um, I was like, I cannot settle. I cannot settle to this. I can't make my head think about it. I've got this picture in my head, and every time I come to God, I can't shake it. And so Malcolm, in his generous and gracious wisdom, went, well, I suppose you better go with it then, because if God's saying something, we don't want to miss it. So what I'm hoping is that I've heard God right, and that this morning we have a word that's right for today. And I think with everything that's been going on, that God has got something he wants to talk to us about. So, I have a good relationship with God. I think they don't let you be in church leadership. If you don't, I'm not anymore, but I used to be. And they don't let you speak, hopefully, if you don't have a relationship with God, because that would be really bad. But my last year with God has been actually really hard. Um, I'm not on the leadership team anymore, partly because my last year has been really bad. Um, I, I took a sidestep a year ago. Um, God was like, take a sidestep from the leadership. I want you to come climb a mountain with me. Because on the top, there's these beautiful blue vistas, and you'll hear me really clearly. And I was like, awesome, great, sounds Marvellous, let's do that. Yeah, so then um, a couple of weeks later, Phil got really ill. And six weeks after that, my mum died. And I'm not in the best of health to start off with. And we have two teenage foster kids. And I have a list of things in my life. And I was a church leader. And there was still stuff to do and still stuff to think about. And you guys take a lot of thinking about well, no, you guys, you guys actually are the easy bit. The mechanics of the church takes a lot of thinking about, and some days is, it weighs quite heavy on you, and something had to give. And unfortunately, it was the leadership of the church, which for me was really hard, because for 14 years, it had been a big part of my life, a big part of my identity. And afterwards, I was a little bit lost. It's like, oh, I'm not used to going to God just as me, I'm used to bringing everybody in the room with me. But no, all of a sudden it was really quiet and it was just me. And God said, it's time, it's time to recover. It's a time of restoration. And I'm like, great, restoration. I could do with that. It's been a really long year. Let's, let's do some restoration. So I go. Now, Adam has all talked to you before about where he goes with God on a Sunday morning when he's in his imagination. Where I have been with God over the last few months is um, it's kind of an ante room with a pool. Don't go, oh, pool. It's more like the pool in Bathsida, which is a long, ancient ago pool, which probably, um, probably was a bit grubby, I imagine. But there was an altar in the room there were stained glass windows, there was a pool. And God was like, get in the pool, rest, recover. Lay on the altar, it's not comfortable, I'm going to tell you. But 
rest, recover, become who you are again. I was like, okay, we can do this. And then a few weeks ago, the world changed in my spiritual head and everything moved into black and white. And I'm no longer in this nice place where there's colour streaming in through the windows, where there's a pool to go and lie in to ah, look after my poor, weary body. No, I'm in a prison cell. And everything is in black and white. It was a little bit... Um, it was, it was um, around the time of the anniversary of my mum's death, so I thought, okay, this is just a picture for me. And then Jasper died. And then an awful lot of stuff has happened. And I can't get this picture of this prison out of my head. This prison, which is big and cavernous and grey, there's a light source just at the top where the light streams in. So there's a pool of light in the centre, but everything else is grey and is black and is dark and is grubby and is cold. And in the light, there's a broken branch with one green leaf, hence the crazy picture on the screen. And I'm like, okay, God, you are going to have to help me in this place because what does this mean? I'm on my own now. I don't bring everybody with me. Is it just because I'm on my own in this place? And God's like, no, you need to tend to the branch. Um, this still here is actually from a film. It's from a DreamWorks production film from a long time ago when our kids were little called Joseph and uh, Joseph the King of Dreams. No one's going to be surprised it's from a film. And that's the picture that I had. And I was like, okay, God, so let's unpack a bit of Joseph. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Okay, so this is Jacob and Rachel from this film. Now, if ever you want to find yourself, go look in the Bible. Because this family here, Joseph's family, I, know, I don't know, sometimes I think we think scripture is this all very high and mighty and airy fairy in the sky stuff. This family here, they'd have been completely in the right place if we were seeing them on Jeremy Kyle. So, Jacob's got two wives. His two wives are sisters. That's a start. But he's also got two concubines who are the slaves of his two sisters because his sisters were having a competition over who could have the most babies. Pretty much. I'm probably being a little bit mean to them. But that's what it looks like. So Joseph has 11 brothers, three sisters that we know of that are written by name. That's a lot of sibling rivalry. Jacob, he's a bit of a muppet because he has favourites amongst his children. Anyone here, would they admit to having favourites amongst their children? No, because it's... Oh, apparently some would. <laughs> you don't nod when we ask those questions. The Bible is full of ordinary, broken, messed up people like you and me. Ordinary, broken, messed up. Most of them. Jacob is... Read Genesis. 
Genesis, Genesis is fascinating. It's full of stories about people, people who have encounters with God, who meet God, who hear God really clearly, who, if you were lining up the people in the room, aren't the people you would have expected to meet with God. Bunch of liars, thieves, murderers, adulterers. You know, not your, we're all right, people. They were the, oh my word, just like you and me. Not that I'm saying anybody has murdered anybody in the room, but you know what I mean. So, we're going to pick up the story of Genesis in chapter 37. Now, Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. There's a musical about that. When his brothers saw that, their father loved him more than any of them. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Joseph had no tact. Others might call him an idiot. To say these things to your brothers who already hated you, I'm not convinced. When he told his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. The thing about Joseph is that he hears from God and it was loud and it was clear and it was incessant and he couldn't ignore it doesn't mean he presented it terribly well. Sometimes I hear God and it's loud and it's clear and it's incessant and I know it's really, really best to keep my mouth shut. I don't know why God sometimes speaks clearly to me and I don't know why God sometimes speaks clearly to Joseph. I don't know why God chooses some of us to be louder with than others. Or maybe God's equally loud and some of us are more deaf. I have no idea. But God can choose any person in this room to speak with just the same way that he chose Joseph. Um, now I'm changing my plan, sorry. I think we're going to move on from that one. So Joseph went after his brothers, this is a little later in the story, and found them near Dothan. But they saw him at a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Now come, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns, that's a deep well, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams." Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. 
His brothers agreed. So, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Joseph is now a slave. He is sold into slavery by his own brothers. Stuff happens in life. Really awful stuff happens in life. And Joseph has been sold into slavery. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And he was sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he had. Joseph arrived in Egypt with nothing. He'd lost everything, family, home, and freedom. But Joseph also still knew that God was there and that God had spoken He knew in the midst of all the crazy stuff that was going on with him right now that he still had a destiny, that God had given him those crazy dreams for a reason. It wasn't very far back up the line of um, ancestors for Joseph that Abraham had begun this all when God came and first said that all of his descendants would be like the stars in the sky or the sand in the earth. So as a family, they knew they had a destiny. And there were now an awful lot more children that created some of those stars in the sky. But Joseph also knew he personally had a destiny. And that when in Genesis 28, 15, God had promised Jacob that I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, the same was true for him in the same way that it is true for us. Because God promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. Now, I don't know, but I don't think any of us in this room have ever been sold into slavery. But God, but in many ways it feels like it in some of the things that happens in our lives. When our freedom and our choices are taken away, when our job is taken away, our health is taken away, our children are taken away. Things are hard. But God's promise to Jacob was that, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And God comes with us wherever we go. But those of us who know the story of Joseph know it's not the end of the story because Joseph was well built and handsome. Unfortunate, I believe. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Temptation, just there. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything in the house, everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. 
My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of his household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to her household servants, look, she said to them, this Hebrew has, br- has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When, I heard his, um, when he heard me scream for help, he left the cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept this cloak beside her until her master came home. Then she told him this story, that Hebrew slave you bought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard this story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Accused of a crime he didn't commit. Joseph's story got worse and worse before it got better. Abandonment, left to enslavement, entrapment, and then finally imprisonment. And this is where my picture comes into the tale. In prison, God was still with him. God was still watching over him wherever he went. It seemed that nothing could get worse yet. Joseph took the tiny shred of faith that he still had. The tiny shred that this green leaf represents of hope. And he cared for it and it began to grow. His anger never turned into hatred. His heart didn't harden. His resolve didn't vanish. He did not only survive, he thrived in the prison. Joseph never gave up. Bitterness never staked its claim. So how did he find God in the darkness? How did he flourish in the midst of all that tragedy? Well, I think for one thing is that he never forgot the truth. I am pretty sure there were days where it was almost impossible. But that God was there with him in his circumstances, in his tragedy... He never gave up on that, that God had not abandoned him. He found favour in Potiphar's home. He actually found favour in the prison. And that truth is the same for us. God does not forsake us or leave us. And that is actually a promise that we can hold on to in the darkness of our nights, on the darkest of all our nights. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is preparing a banquet before us. Times can be really hard. I understand that. We all know that in this room. Joseph was imprisoned for two years. He was falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit and was sent to prison for two years. Well, he wasn't. He was sent to prison and they threw away the key, but he stayed there for two years 
And some of us have been imprisoned by things in our lives for longer than that. Those of us who know the story know that another set of dreams, a set of dreams got him into trouble in the first place, and another set of dreams that a baker and a wine bearer, cup bearer and Pharaoh himself had got him out of that prison and got him promoted to the second highest position in the land. He became Pharaoh's prime minister. And God never left him. He went through stuff that honed him and branches were chopped off and lopped off left, right and centre, but God never left him. And 20 years after he was thrown in the pit by his brothers, they come to Egypt looking looking for food. There's a famine in the land and they're starving in Canaan where Jacob and his brothers live, Jacob and his sons live. So they send them to Egypt to get food to get grain. And who is it that's in charge of distributing the, the grain? Their brother, Joseph. And when they realised who he was, they feared that he would settle a score with them. He tested them, but when the crunch point came, he said to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. In the story, God, the story, the brother's hands intended evil, but God brings eventual good. Joseph tied himself to the pillar of this promise that God wouldn't leave him and that he had a future and a destiny. And he held on to dear life for it, that God would bring good. Nothing in the story glosses over the awfulness of what happened, quite the contrary. Blood stains and tear stains are everywhere. Joseph's heart was rubbed raw against the rocks of disloyalty and miscarried justice. Yet time and time again, God redeemed the pain. A torn robe became a royal robe. The pit became a palace. Where it says you meant evil against me, Joseph's using a Hebrew word which traces its meaning back to the word weave or plait. The brothers had woven an awful story of harm and pain, and now God had rewoven it. I'm so thankful in life that when you think that all the leaves have fallen off your tree, when it feels like part of you has been stripped away and laid bare, when you feel empty and vulnerable, like parts of you have been laid out for everyone to see, or even the parts of you are dying, that this is not the full story. It is not the end. There is not one of us here who doesn't have broken parts to their lives, to their story. Each one of us has faced mountains that seem too hard to climb, pain that feels like it will never end. Moments where we feel like we only have one green leaf on our tree a bare leaf left on a broken branch of faith. So what do we do? We choose to believe that though we do not understand why something has happened, that, as Julie said, God is good. That whatever tragedy might befall us, we need to believe that God can reweave it for good, 
good in it and out of it and through it. And we can ask God to keep our hearts soft and help us to feed our faith even with our tears. If we look to Jesus, read the Psalms, we can see that all our pain is not unique. All of God's children have suffered. Even Christ suffered. Yet where there is death, there is also resurrection. Where there is prison, there is also a palace. We should take our um, one green leaf of hope, tend it, watch it flourish. Because even in the darkness, it will grow. It's been a tricky time. It's been a tricky time for lots of us. But we need to take the hope and the faith that we have and believe that even in the darkness, God will make it flourish. As I finish, um, in a moment, I'm going to get us to stand together. We've been doing a lot of declaring things out loud because actually that's a really good way of stirring our spirit and helping us understand the truth. I want us to read Psalm 23 together as a corporate statement to the truth that God is with us when the sun shines. And I'm really pleased for you if the sun is shining on you today and my talk means nothing to you. I am really pleased for you. But God is also with us when it rains, when it is pouring with rain, when there's a whirlwind and a hurricane blowing. God is still with us. And even though the most awful thing is happening, that God can still bless us in the midst of it, that God is good and we trust him, even though we may not understand right now, that we believe God is good in the middle of our darkest hour. So let's stand together. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh no, that's not right, is it? That's not the beginning of the psalm. Where did the psalm go? Oh, that's not right either. Where'd it go? Oh, technology. Okay. Shall we do it from memory? Ah, <laughs> oh, there we go. I love technology. I was for a moment there thinking I could do this, but it's all good. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord Jesus, help us in the 
brightness of the glorious day and in the darkness of the darkest night to know that you are good, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you will hold us tight and that you are always good, faithful, trustworthy and true. In Jesus' name, amen.